0: Well, good morning. It is Tuesday, the twenty eighth of June, twenty twenty two. I'm Carmen laverge You're listening to Mornings with Carmen on the Faith Radio Network. I've got a lot of pray the news um, opportunities for us this morning, and just inviting us to be mindful of um, of the reality that you know for yes for for many people yesterday, like yesterday was the worst day, and. Maybe that is true for you, and maybe it is not. Um, but I want you to, just for a moment, I know it's painful to do so, but it's important every once in a while for us to just remember, like, our most painful day, whatever that was for you. Um, because that is what a lot of our neighbors, both here um, in our own local communities, uh, across our country, and around the world, experienced yesterday. And so as I lift up these headlines I encourage you to pray for the individuals directly affected um the the members of um you know our frontline um EMS personnel who respond um to each of these uh, events um and then the layers of people affected after that which it's not hard for us to Sort of imagine the concentric circles of effect in each and every one of these conversations, because every single one of these individuals has a family, um, they have coworkers, they have neighbors, they have friends, and uh, and so I will start with um, all of those uh, involved and and affected by the derailment of an Amtrak train yesterday in Minden, Missouri. Um, and the people of Minden, Missouri, like Benden, Missouri is a town of 158 people. So for those of you who are like me, who live in a rural community, um, but my rural community still has a lot of people in it uh, and, and a train track that runs right through the middle of all of it. So this is not hard for me to imagine um, in terms of the scene and the scenario, uh, 200 Amtrak passengers on a train from L.A. to Chicago, um, the train... Hit a dump truck that was, um, you know, in the middle of a railroad crossing on a gravel road. So it's one of those that doesn't have lights. It doesn't have um, it doesn't have those guardrails, and um, you know, and it's the middle of quote unquote nowhere. Now I know for the people of Men in Missouri, you you don't live in nowhere. You live in Men in Missouri. So please recognize um, that what I'm saying is it's not in the middle of an urban center, and so the um, trains are allowed to go pretty fast in places like this as they are passing through rural America. And so um, the train struck the dump truck. We are um, aware that one individual in the dump truck was killed, two other individuals on the train. Those people have not yet been identified, but many other people are injured. Um, Everyone had to be evacuated. Lots of people are in the hospital Um, And the people of Minden, Missouri, I just want to commend them because they rallied resources and hosted um, more than 200 Amtrak passengers and crew, as well as emergency personnel who came from um, far and wide to uh, to respond to this event. Um, And this just comes one day after an Amtrak passenger train crashed into a sedan at a similar crossing um, in a rural stretch of track in Northern California. Three people also killed in that crash. Let's be um, let's be praying for folks traveling uh, in in all manners of transportation, particularly as we approach this holiday weekend. Tragedy in Texas, uh, where 46 migrants were found dead in an abandoned tractor trailer in San Antonio. Um, also praying for the 16 other people who were found in the trailer, including um, four people um, who are minors. Those 16 individuals are in the hospital um, suffering with conditions including heat stroke and heat exhaustion. But also, I just want you to have um, have a heart of compassion for them. They were obviously seeking to uh, enter the United States of America in a way that, um, you know, others were profiting from. We're talking about human trafficking here. We're talking about such desperation in the places where they were living that they thought this was a good idea in the middle of the summer, in the middle of a heat wave, to ride in the un-air-conditioned un- back of a tractor-trailer um, across a, an international border, you know, in the hands of people who obviously do not uh, value life. And so the experience of these 16 survivors is um, really unbelievable, uh, unimaginable, so let's be praying for them as well. Um, One other item of news here, the January 6th Select Committee is holding a last minute hearing today after announcing that it was not planning to meet again until mid-July. So we don't really know what they have planned, but thought that everyone would want to be aware that that is happening today in Washington, D.C. Mark Caleb Smith is waiting in the wings. He has been busy since the Supreme Court ruling in the Dobbs case. We're going to talk with him this morning about another decision of the Supreme Court, this in relationship to Coach Kennedy, the football coach, who was uh, praying on the football field after games, win or lose. We're going to talk about whether or not the coach won or lost at the Supreme Court. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Mark Caleb Smith is back. Uh, He serves at Cedarville University, and we love talking with him about the intersection of, well, the law and the gospel um, and politics and the Christian worldview. Hey, good morning, Mark.
1: Good morning, Carmen. How are you doing today?
0: I'm fantastic. All right. Did the coach win or lose at the Supreme Court?
1: The coach won. Yeah, the coach won. And I think given the way that this court has handled uh, recent decisions as it relates to religious liberty, uh, it wasn't much of a surprise that the that the coach emerged victorious.
0: All right. So I want to just make this observation. He was fired in 2015, and that's seven years ago. Um, and so part of this conversation is how slow things move in terms of a judicial process when it comes to sort of the competition. I mean, it, this is not... Well, I guess this is still a competition of, you know, one person's set of of rights versus another group. So, you know, what people think they have the right to not have um, someone publicly express their faith, in this case, uh, kneeling in prayer after a football game. Um, And he says, you know, no, I feel like I do have the right to do that um, under the First Amendment. Uh, So so this contest of rights we talk about a lot. Yep, um, yep. Seven years feels like a long time. And yet I think yep. about, uh, you know, the Colorado cake baker, and he's been at it longer than that.
1: Yeah. I mean, seven years is uh, it's not all that unusual, honestly, when it comes to a case that makes it all the way to the Supreme Court, because you have to think through the different layers, uh, take different amounts of time for different legal elements, for briefs to be filed, for facts to be heard and verified. And once you do that three, four or five times, Uh, It just is going to add up. Um, Seven years is a long time. But uh, this case is it's an interesting case, I think. Um, It's ultimately, I think, an argument when you when you read the two opinions from the majority of the dissenters, it's really an argument about the facts. They disagree over what was really happening. Uh, Gorsuch portrays it as sort of a, you know, a moment of quiet after the game. He's free of responsibilities at that point. So he's not functioning as a public employee. Sotomayor portrays it as sort of a subtly coercive expectation that players would would participate. She includes a picture, which is not all that common. Uh, She includes a picture in her dissent to show how many people were gathered around the coach at these things. And so uh, they disagree over really what's happening, I think, to some extent, much less how to characterize it.
0: Um, Does this have any particular effect um, when you think about, the freedoms that most people experience and enjoy in terms of religious liberty in the United States?
1: Uh, I think you know, if you follow, if you're on social media and you follow reactions to these kinds of decisions, I think yesterday and this morning, I've seen about 100 tweets from people saying something like, well, this wouldn't have happened if it had been a Muslim having a prayer or, or a Jew having a prayer in the middle of the field. But I think they really miss the point here. Uh, in this environment, Kennedy was a religious minority of some kind. And granted, he's, he's a Christian, uh, which has a majority status in our country historically, but arguably does not anymore. But he was a minority in that situation. The state sought to limit his ability to express his faith um, through speech and through his religious exercise. And the court said, no, you know, you really aren't able to do that unless there's coercion involved, unless the government is using its power to coerce people to engage in religious activity. And so it's, I think that the, the decision is actually beneficial uh, for religion across the board. Uh, the Roberts Court has really carved out a path for itself, I think, on um, religious liberty questions. And I think they're trying to diffuse some of the tension between government and religion. Uh, they want religious individuals to have the freedom to speak and the freedom to articulate their points of view and, and to affect government, ultimately, to influence government in, in an appropriate way. That is an establishment. Yeah, you know, this is really what this case goes back to is what does it mean to establish a religion is a coach praying in the middle of the football field after a, a game is that establishing anything and the majority says no of course not it just isn't. And so it's a very historically grounded analysis uh, and the dissent they just disagree. You know they have a different conception of what establishment means.
0: Uh, two things come to mind, um, and this I will use this to build a bridge to a conversation about the Supreme Court's ruling in the Dobbs case, which most people will recognize as an overturning of the 1973 Roe v. Wade decision. You use the word coercion. I'm seeing a, a rise in conversation um, related to how many women are actually coerced into having uh, having abortions. That's an interesting conversation I'm not hearing a whole lot about, but I think that's an interesting thread to pull. Um, and this question of religious fervor in relationship to um, what is perceived to be a personal right that the government should guarantee. There is nothing short of a religious fervor among those who are protesting this action of the court. And so I'd like to talk with you um, about your reactions uh, to the Supreme Court's decision in the Dobbs case. We're talking with Mark Caleb Smith, and you're listening to Mornings with Carmen. This is the G.I. jive, man alive. It starts with the bugler blow and revelry over your bed. Continuing our conversation with Mark Caleb Smith. Um, Mark, just uh, some of your reactions to um, not only the Dobbs decision, of the Supreme Court, but the reactions of We the People to the Dobbs decision?
1: You know, I, I think the thing that is always shocking to me um, when when a significant political event like this happens is uh, the amount of, uh, I can't put it any other way, the amount of ignorance on display about the court and what the court is supposed to be and how the court is supposed to function in our system of government. Um, you can agree with the court's decision. You can disagree with the court's decision. Uh, but it really is incredible to me how people just misunderstand the role of the court. Uh, you know, They look at the Supreme Court and they, they see it as just another political body that's supposed to affirm their point of view. And if it doesn't, then you challenge its legitimacy. You, know, you want to throw it out. You want to pack it. Um, and you want to undermine it at every turn. Uh, Or they say things like, well, the public opinion on this decision isn't very good, uh, therefore the court really made a mistake under the assumption that the court's supposed to care about public opinion, right? And there's, I think uh, there's just a lot of uh, swirling argument about the role of the court, and I hope the court can emerge from this uh, relatively intact, uh, but I'm fearful. You know, there's an awful lot of strong rhetoric from the president and uh, from Democrats across the board uh, about sort of doing whatever they can to counter the court. Uh, there are threats of violence against members of the court. And uh, it, it really pains me because I think that uh, the Supreme Court should be one of our most revered institutions, and it feels like it's getting dragged down this whole process.
0: I, uh, I like you, um, have been taking note of the confusion about what actually happened, what the court actually decided, the confusion over the role of the court in the culture use of um, phrases like abort the court right. um, and pointing to it as illegitimate, particularly when what we're having conversations about are uh, abortion and um, the legitimacy of those lives, threats against the Supreme Court justices, um, you know, a, a, a targeting of people who disagree um I'm thinking there about crisis pregnancy centers, you know, seeking right. to serve women who are pregnant and seek help, the destruction of property for, of totally unrelated businesses, um, incitement by the mayor of Chicago, sitting members of Congress, um, uh, members of the media. I, I really, yep. um, you know, and I uh, this is I mean, I recognize that it's political, but it it feels more than political. This does not feel like a political conversation. There is a level of anger, um, the use of really vile language um, and images and a willingness to um, harm others and seek to harm others. I I just I yeah, I'm, I'm troubled. I'm troubled by I'm not surprised necessarily, but I am troubled and I am trying to find my, you know, my feet in personal conversations as well as more public discourse.
1: Well, I think you're I think you've touched on some really important thing previously when you mentioned religion in relation to this response, Um, because to me, this is this is very clearly demonstrates that abortion is at the middle of the world view for many, many people in our country.
0: Mm. And the
1: threat to abortion is fundamental in their eyes because it destabilizes their view of their role in the political system and their role in our society. Um, You know, they say things like abortion rights are women's rights. And if abortion rights are threatened, then women are no longer first class citizens. But I think it also highlights the the sexual revolutions impact on our culture. Uh, It is this is sex is an end. It's not a means. It's an end for many people in our culture and the the availability of abortion relatively on demand without interference is sort of the ultimate fallback for the freedom from consequences for sexual activity, and when that's threatened, I think you're really starting to pull at something that is arguably idolized by many parts of our culture. You know, anything that sort of makes me uncomfortable in this area and that highlights that I may I may have to change my activity and my behavior because of it. Uh, I think it's it's dramatic, and I think that's a that's a measure of what we're looking at right now
0: if you're hearing Mark Caleb Smith and I discuss this, please also recognize we have a deep heart of compassion for um, women who have experienced abortion, families who have abortion as a part of their um, about uh, of their history. We talk with abortion survivors here um, not just those who have survived attempts to be aborted, but women who um, who have abortion in their past and now have ministries related to um helping others see uh, the trauma of that um hopefully in advance but also coming alongside those who have experienced abortion um, more recently so i just i just this is such a complex issue we want to be sensitive to yep. um the myriad of challenges and we also want to be ardently pro life um and say hey uh you know now is an opportunity a real opportunity for every christian for every church for every um christian related entity to step forward to press in and to figure out what it's going to look like to advance human flourishing for every uh person, regardless of how they were conceived or the circumstances of um of their life as they as they enter into it, so you're going to hear us talking a whole lot about opportunities to come alongside, befriend um, shepherd, enfold, lift up women who are um, who are going to be carrying babies to term? Who may have not done that prior to the um, the reversal of Roe v. Wade? And so we we're just going to have to talk about um, a whole life approach to all of this. Um, Mark, one more thing before um, before we let you go, um, talk with us about tuitions for religious schools because we you know we were kind of excited. Um, that state money is going to be able to follow kids to religious schools after the Supreme Court ruling in the in the case in Maine, but there's something else going on as well.
1: Yeah, I think you're looking at a, a pretty significant backlash against that idea um, <clears throat> that the money should be flowing into religious organizations uh, at all from the government. And so uh, the main decision, other decisions that the court has made, is going to make this, I think, a, a pretty significant. A political issue moving forward and, and, it, and it should be it should be a discussion a point of discussion, no question about that
0: all right uh, thank you for those of you texting in this morning. The text line is open. love to hear your comments and your commentary. that number is eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four Laney pointing out that spiritual warfare is a part of this, and we need to be engaged on our knees. Thank you for that reminder and observation as well. Mark as always, thank you so much. I know you got a lot of folks to talk with today, so blessings upon you
1: blessings upon you and your and your listeners carmen we'll talk to you later
0: thank you so much you're listening to mornings with carmen i'm carmen laburge we're going to take a moment for max lucato and upwards talk for a minute about the Great Commission and who we are as great commissionaries. I want you just to consider the Great Commission for a moment here this morning, when Jesus turns to his disciples and then ultimately uh, toward us and says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. What does that mean today for you and me? How does it happen? And then just like really practically, I mean, where would you go? What would you do? How far would you go to share Jesus and the grace of God in Jesus Christ with someone else? I mean, would you, would you actually go out of your way? Would you even cross the street? Would you, re, would you leave the relative comforts and security of the United States? Would you run with a chariot? Would you allow yourself to be uh, unjustly arrested and imprisoned? Would you accept lodging from whoever offered it and eat whatever was set before you? I'm thinking here of Philip and Paul and Peter and every other disciple of Jesus Christ of every other generation who did those things and more. So, who's going today? Who is going to the ends of the earth to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ with people who have never heard his name? We're going to have a conversation next with Todd Nettleton from Voice of the Martyrs about one man named John who was willing to go to the ends of the earth and was derided for it. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Todd Nettleton is back. He serves with Voice of the Martyrs. You can find what we're talking about today at persecution.com. Todd, good morning.
2: Good morning. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. Introduce um introduce us to, to John Chow or reintroduce us to John Chow. And um why are we who is he and why are we talking about him today?
2: Well, this week is Day of the Christian Martyr. Tomorrow, June 29th, according to church history, is the day the Apostle Paul was beheaded outside the city of Rome. Uh, And so what better day to hold up the example of those who gave their lives for the cause of Christ? John Chow is one of those. In 2018. He went to North Sentinel Island, an island in the Indian Ocean, where uh, the people are completely unreached uh, they They have no contact with the outside world they 've never heard the gospel. Uh, john, as a teenager, God called him to go to that island and uh, in two thousand and eighteen he went he was killed uh, the The news coverage afterwards uh, and interestingly john 's plan was no one would ever hear his name. He would go and live on the island for as long as it took to learn the language, uh, learn the people, serve them, and ultimately give the gospel to them. Uh, so then all of a sudden he's in the pages of the New York Times and GQ and NBC News, and the, the story that was told was he was kind of an adventure junkie, uh, a world explorer, got off the track and ended up on this island and got himself killed. Uh, the reality, though, is is that nine years of preparation. God had called him, and for nine years— Every decision John had made was with an eye towards landing on that beach and serving the people of North Sentinel Island.
0: I remember, um, I remember this story. I remember the coverage that you're talking about. I remember him being um, what we would now say as mischaracterized, um, as deluded. Um, you, you use the term, you know, or you've shared the term, you know, "adventure bro." Um, he was certainly described as, you know, a dumb American out there doing something that not only put him at risk, but um, from a lot of people's worldview, um, put the people he was seeking to reach at risk. It it's an un, it, it is an important story because, first of all, uh, Todd, there are people who um, cannot imagine that there are yet unreached people groups in the world. And on the flip side... There are lots of people from whose worldview it is inappropriate to seek to reach people who um are, are unreached with the gospel because they don't believe in the gospel itself. Like right. So there's a there's a lot going on here that's sort of at cross currents with um the with the Great Commission.
2: There absolutely is. And there is a, you know, there was, like you say, a lot of discussion and You know, our thought at Voice of the Martyrs is, of course, lost people are going to argue with John's intent. They're going to argue with John's mission. The real concern for us, and uh, I talked with one of the leaders of all nations, the group that sent John to North Sentinel Island, and their real concern is there were people in the church saying, John, you shouldn't have gone. John, those, you know, the Great Commission extends only to the shores of an island. If the people are isolated, then the Great Commission doesn't apply to them anymore, or, or some sort of faulty logic like that, and, and that was the really disappointing thing, that the idea that John would be seen as an adventurer, and that was part of his plan. I mean, he had laid out the Instagram trail, and, and his concern was not so much for his own reputation or, or would he get credit for this mission. His concern was for the next person that God would call to North Sentinel Island. He didn't want to set up any barriers or any roadblocks for that person. And so, you know, if you look at his social media feed, yeah, he was swimming with great white sharks. He was kayaking in the ocean, and and he even had a a beef jerky sponsor for his adventures. So it was natural for those who just kind of gave it a quick glance to say, oh, yeah, adventure junkie. The concern for us, like I say, is is people in the church who say, why— why would you go and share the gospel with people who've never heard? Those people are probably not talking to their neighbors about Jesus.
0: Yeah, and certainly why would you go at risk of your own life, right? I mean, I yeah. think that's a part, part of this as well. I have a first cousin, um, Jennifer de Krieger, who serves on the mission field in Togo, West Africa. Um, her husband died on the mission field. She has raised her four boys there. Um, she, and, and still there are members of my family who keep asking, you know, when is, when is Jenny coming home? <laughs> and I'm like, Jenny is home. Like that is her home. <laughs> she, that is where she lives. And those are the people God has called her to serve. And this is the particularly unique calling God has in her life. And, uh, you know, and it's bearing fruit in the lives of other people. And they're like, yeah, but I mean, you know, she grew up in Michigan. Like, I mean, I it just, uh, she belongs here. Like, I'm just like, so... This is this idea that people are called by God to go to other people and to live in other places and to serve out a lifetime of ministry, however long or short that is. Um, Like this still happens. God still calls people and sends people to places that he has not called and sent others of us.
2: So true, and I grew up in a missionary family, so that was sort of part of my DNA. Uh, And it's interesting to think about, uh, you know, the 1956, the the five men were killed in Ecuador trying to reach what at that time was called the Alcas. Now, you know, we know them by the name they call themselves by, and the the difference in world opinion that those men were featured in life magazine as men isn't this great that they were willing to sacrifice and lay down their lives to advance the gospel to advance civilization to help uh, this indian tribe know the the wonders of modern medicine the wonders of the modern world contrast that with how john was treated in the secular media it's like this guy is crazy he's nuts those people didn't want him there he should have left well enough alone uh, and again that that is interesting to show how our culture has changed. But like you say, even within families, even within churches, I think of Hanali Gronwald, whose family was killed in Afghanistan. When she and Werner, her husband, moved to Afghanistan, some members of her own family said, God would never call you to take your children to Afghanistan. It is such a dangerous place. There is no way that that was the voice of God asking you to do that. But when you think about the voice of God, uh, and, you know, 11 of the 12 apostles were killed as martyrs. The voice of God has always called people to go places that are dangerous. That that That's part of our history. That's part of our DNA as Christians.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We're talking with Todd Nettleton from Voice of the Martyrs. Uh, tomorrow is the day of the Christian martyr. There are lots of resources available and posted for you at persecution.com. Um, there's a wonderful video uh, testimony of John Chow. Um, also, opportunities for you to use some questions that um, VOM has developed for our conversations. For those of you in a position uh, to use materials for your church, those are there as well as uh, and some guided prayer um, prompts um, as well. It's a it's a great opportunity, Todd, for us to be praying with and for one another, to be highlighting the Great Commission, to be recognizing um, that there is still a mission of God's people in the world in relationship to evangelism.
2: It is such a great opportunity for that. And one of the things specifically that I hope grows out of this year's Day of the Christian Martyr is people to pray for North Sentinel Island and pray for the Sentinelese people. Someone's going to have to go. You know, Revelation says people of every tribe and tongue and nation will be gathered around the throne of Christ we know somebody's going to have to go to North Sentinel Island. Somebody's going to have to follow in John's footsteps. And I hope that a worldwide army of prayer warriors will rise up through John's story to pray for the people of North Sentinel Island, to pray for whoever God calls to go after him and follow in his footsteps. And like you say, hopefully that's not just North Sentinel Island. That's other places as well. And I love how you started because for a lot of us here in the U.S., it's almost impossible to fathom that there are people who are completely unreached, who have never heard the name of Jesus. Nobody in their tribe, nobody who speaks their language has ever heard the name of Jesus. Um that's that's pretty wild for us to think about in in 2022.
0: Todd, we have um we have a listener texting in from the 770 area code who says, "I just got back from I'm going to oh, Catman I can I can actually I can actually figure out what that one says. Uh, I just got back uh, from Kathmandu, Nepal yesterday, where we did Vacation Bible School for the children of mission missionaries who work all over Central and Western Asia. Um, they met together to be built up in the Lord at a conference, and we took care of their kids. Um, I feel like God pulled me out of my little life uh, of a box and showed me the big world that's out there. He's working everywhere in so many ways. It was life-changing to be part of what's happening um, in Nepal and around the world. Words cannot describe how full my heart is and how my heart has been touched. Um, That's it right there, right? Right. I mean, it is it is the experience, um, Todd, of being connected with other believers around the world. This individual went to serve those whom God has called to serve full-time in ministry to others, and this is this is good evidence of how the body is designed to work.
2: It's exactly how the body is designed to work, and I'm a little jealous because Nepal is one of the most beautiful places you could ever go. Um, but that that thing of getting off an airplane in a place you've never been before— where the people don't look like you, they don't talk like you, and yet finding that connection, wait a minute, we both follow Jesus. We both have the Holy Spirit inside of us. There is that family of God connection that happens in those settings that just reminds you you know God is God is way bigger than America. He's way bigger than just my church or my denomination. God is everywhere and his people are everywhere and we have this calling to go into all the world and and yes, it is going to cost us something. It's there are going to be hard days. There's going to be losses in that battle. We need to honor those who were willing to give their lives and we need to kind of redouble our efforts to say, "Okay, what well, what well, what would I give? What would I
0: sacrifice?" Hmm. All right. We're going to continue our conversation with Todd Nettleton from Voice of the Martyrs in just a moment. You can find what we're discussing and lots of other resources and wonderful prayer prompts at persecution.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. I'm Carmen LaBerge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We're talking with Todd Nettleton from Voice of the Martyrs. You can find what we're talking about at persecution.com. Tomorrow is the day of the Christian martyr. Lots of resources related to that. I love um, I love all the text messages coming in on the text line. You can text as well, 877-933-2484. Prayer, people lifting up prayer concerns for those on the mission field, uh, people asking prayers that God would... Um, uh, reveal His will, a particular will for their life, if there's a particular place they're called to go or something they're called to do, that they would be um, tender and open to that. Folks praying for um, lost people that they know, one in particular who's from Kathmandu. That really it, it sparked a, a renewed desire in the heart of one listener to be praying for a specific individual from Kathmandu, so we're praying with you as well. Um, somebody else lifting up a, a, a global ministry based in, in Austria and Um, and folks doing ministry there. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Love this engagement. Love knowing that you are um, in touch with and engaged with Christians around the world deployed in, you know, frontline evangelistic ministry. That is, um, uh, that's wonderful. It's a gift. Being connected with Christians globally keeps us mindful of both how big and how small (laughs) the kingdom of God is. Um, Todd, that's one of the great blessings of getting to talk with you is that you bring us so many wonderful stories from our brothers and sisters around the world, particularly those who are um, living in the midst of circumstances that, you know, we really can't imagine um, here in the United States. So wondering if you if you have one of those stories to share with us this morning as well.
2: You know, I just heard a story, I was doing an interview last week for a future episode of Voice of the Martyrs Radio, and we heard a story of an imam in Bangladesh. And uh, this imam was reading along in the Quran, uh, and he comes across the name Isa, Jesus. And he thought, you know, if if this man is mentioned in the Quran, and I'm an imam, I'm a Muslim leader, I should probably know a little more about him. Uh, And so he asked around in his little Bangladeshi village, and he got a hold of a Bible, and he began to read it. And he discovered that Isa al-Masih, Jesus the Messiah, says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. And this Bangladeshi imam believed what he read. (laughs) And not only did he believe what he read, but he started to share it in his mosque. When he was, you know, leading the the services in his mosque, he would talk about, you know, the Quran mentions Isa. I want to tell you a little more about Isa because I've been studying up because I thought, you know, he's in the Quran, I should know what he says. And uh, the people in the mosque are like, you've become a Christian. And I think at first he kind of argued back. No, no, no. I'm just, I'm just studying, you know, what Isa says. But the reality was, yes, he had faith. He had chosen to believe what Isa said. No man comes to the Father except by me. He was kicked out of his mosque. His own brothers beat him and, and tried to get him to renounce Christ, come back to Islam, come back to our family. He said the worst, the worst point for him, his nephew. And in their culture, you, you respect your elders. You respect those in the family who are, are senior to you. His own nephew came up and slapped him across the face and knocked him down. And he said that was the hardest point. Uh, but mm. this former imam is now an evangelist. He's being discipled. He's being trained. And who better to talk to Muslims about their faith and about Christianity than a former imam who is now following Jesus Christ?
0: todd i'm um i'm so I'm so thankful for the way that God like enters in by the power of the Holy Spirit I'm so thankful for the way He delivers his word um and then I'm so thankful for believers who are willing to you know stand there and say, "Hey, this is who that is, and this is what that means and welcome to the fellowship and um I'm your brother I'm your sister." Um, let's walk together. I think the hardest part, as you just described, the hardest part is walking away from um relationships that we have had in the past based on you know proximity or um, or blood, and instead recognizing that God does provide a new family um I think that when we when we recognize that so many believers around the world lose their family of origin when they enter into the family of faith of, of Christianity. Um, you know, I, I guess I'm just particularly mindful there's a lot of adoption that needs to take place by those of us who are Christians living um in in relative ease, right? In great abundance, that we need to have our hearts tenderized for our, our brothers and sisters with whom we're going to spend all eternity, who now have nothing, um, because they have they have walked away from their families of origin because they have walked into the family of faith.
2: You're you're so correct. And I think of uh, Najati Aydin, a, a man who was killed in Turkey now more than 15 years ago, uh, actually wrote a letter to his family because they had gone back and forth after he left Islam to follow Jesus. They actually uh, blamed his wife. They said, oh, you you led our son astray. And, and he he wanted so badly to reach them, and he loved his family, but he finally came to the point where he wrote them a letter, and he said, I'm, I'm going to stay away from you because I love Jesus more. I, I have to put you guys on the altar because I love Jesus more, and it's just not working. I can't, I can't be around you. It hurts too much. There's too much animosity, so... I'm going to follow Jesus, and I understand that's going to cost me. And he never, even before he was killed, he never gave up on his family. He prayed for them every single day. But he just realized, I have to break this relationship because I love Jesus more than I love my family. But like you say, then then who becomes his family? The, the church has to step into that. And when you go to a Muslim nation and you meet with Christians and you meet in a Bible study group or a church group— you, you quickly pick up on that fact. They have become each other's family. They have become the body of Christ, the family of God. And, and in that sense, for those people, it, it is their family. It's their only family because oftentimes their earthly family has rejected them. And so the family of God fills in that role. And, and like you say, we need to take that seriously. We need to understand that that's a responsibility that we have.
0: Todd, as always, um, thank you so much. It's just such a delight to connect with you and continue the conversation. You guys can find Todd at Voice of the Martyrs. The website is persecution.com. Um, Todd, as we as we part company this morning, I want to share with you another listener uh, who has texted in from the 678 area code. Um, Hi, Carmen. My husband and I, we're in our 50s, but God has called us to serve him globally. We've been preparing for the last two years and are now actively seeking where God wants us to go. Um, It works that way sometimes, doesn't it, Todd? Like, right, he calls people and he gets them prepared and they don't yet know the place. And then there's people like uh, John Chow To whom God reveals the place, and then they spend nine years preparing to go. It's, um, uh, God works in mysterious ways, but, uh, it's important to recognize God works and He's still working.
2: Absolutely. And, and I just, I bless that couple in their ministry.
0: Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Again, you guys connect with Todd Nettleton from Voice of the Martyrs at persecution.com. We'll be right back. couple of global prayer prompts here as we've be, been a little internationally focused there with Todd Nettleton. Let's um, let's keep our focus um, on the whole world here for just a moment. I'm wondering if you'll pray with me today for Brittany Greiner. Um, she is a, a American basketball player. You might know her from serving uh, not only or, or playing not only in the WNBA, but also for Team USA and the Olympics. She is... Um, she's been detained in Russia for uh, an extended period of time now. And yesterday she appeared in a Russian court um, and we got our first glimpse of her in in a fairly long period of time. It's interesting that in the photographs and in the very brief video that you might see posted online, um, there's no U.S. embassy personnel present with her Um, and there was no U.S. embassy personnel present for the hearing. Brittany Greiner is all alone um she is uh handcuffed. she is um bracketed by four Russian security guards and a and a guard dog um and for a woman of such physical uh size and strength um, she has an aloneness in her eyes that you can see it is visible she doesn't say anything because i'm sure she has been instructed she 's not allowed to. She does at one point um, shake her head. I want, to be, I want to be praying today for Brittany Greiner. I want to be praying for um, God to be very present with her and for her to know God's presence in the midst of that Russian jail cell. Um, and I want to be praying for Christians who might have access to her. I want to be praying that God would send um, a Christian somehow into that environment to console her, to walk with her, that she would not feel so utterly alone, that she would know she is not abandoned and not forsaken. And now I want you to extend that prayer to every other person, in every other place, in every other cell or imprisonment of one variety or another around the world. Let the gospel of Christ go forth today through Christians, sent into places where people feel alone and abandoned and betrayed, that the gospel might be extended today to more and more people. We got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio.